welcome. And uh, what was I going to say? Happy something. What's the next big event that we've got coming up? Valentine's. I don't want to talk about Valentine's Day. What? Pancake Day is is what? Yes, it is. It is. And is he in kids? He's on his way. It's Dave Holmes' big birthday today. We're going to celebrate it later, so get ready for that one. Um, Burns Night. Burns Night, of course. Bean. Bean. Oh, well, never mind. We'll just say it's great to be here, whatever the date is, shall we? That, that sounds good, and hopefully this won't fall apart. Well, um, yeah, as Emily said, um, once a month we tend to have sort of site-based Sundays, so it's an opportunity for us to kind of have the whole uh, morning. Um, we, we take a break from the sermon series that we're going through, which at the moment is the book of Daniel, and uh, usually it's myself or someone from the site here will speak into um, something that we feel God is saying to us or something that is important for us. And so I have the privilege of doing that today, which is great. Um, just to start us off, I just want to get us thinking a little bit. Um, I'd like to ask you a question, which is relatively deep. Um, but I hope it's okay for first thing on a Sunday morning. The question is, if you, are, if you are honest when you're thinking about how you relate to God, okay, how you personally relate to God, do you find it easiest to relate to God the Father or Jesus the Son or the Holy Spirit? Okay, so I know there's a right answer, which is, well, they're all God, we all relate to them all. But, it, you know, honestly, for you personally, when you're praying, who do you find it easiest to relate to? Okay, that's, 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 that's a little question to just ponder on. Hopefully you've, you've got an idea. You don't need to think about it too much. It's probably more an instinctive thing. Um, so uh, if you would have answered that question, God the Father or Jesus, put your hand up. Okay, reasonable, reasonable number. Anyone Holy Spirit? So that's interesting. Okay, that's interesting. And some of you abstained. That's absolutely fine too. Um, sometimes, as Christians, we can struggle to relate to the Holy Spirit or to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what is his role. What does he, what does he do? We know that he's important. We believe in him. We know that he's the third person of the Godhead. We're, we believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons but one being. So not three gods, one God, but three distinct persons. But we sometimes can struggle or lack confidence in relating to the Holy Spirit. You'll be aware in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit. So there's a command there in Scripture, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, and it's a continuous thing in the original language. It's like a, not just be filled once and then you'll be good. It's continuously carry on being filled, carry on being filled on a day-to-day -day basis with the Spirit. So I thought it would be good for us to just spend a few weeks um, over the next three months. We've just got three Sundays where we're going to look at what it means to be Spirit-filled. Uh, we know that's important. We know that it's kind of, yes, we want to be Spirit-filled Christians, but actually, what does that mean? What does the Bible say about it? And how do we do that? How do we be spirit-filled? How do we walk in the spirit? So that's what the next kind of series is going to be about. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at today, we're going to look at what it means for us to be spirit-filled people. So individually, as believers in Jesus, as we're seeking to follow him, what does it mean to be spirit-filled? 
Then in a month's time, we're going to look at what it means for us to be a spirit-filled church, a spirit-filled body of people. How does the Holy Spirit work among us as a body? And then finally, we're going to look at what it means to be spirit-filled witnesses. What does it mean for us out there in the world, in our nine-to-five jobs, at home, in our communities? What does it mean for us to be witnesses who are spirit-filled? Does that sound right to you? Great. Well, so today we're going to be looking at what does it mean for us as individual Christians um, to be spirit-filled. And if you want to find out about a person, a good thing is to read their autobiography, or if they're an author, to read their books. And the Holy Spirit is he's actually the best-selling author of all time. Did you know that? <laughs> he's written a book, so it's a good idea to have a look at his book to see what he says about himself. That book, of course, is the Bible. So we're going to be looking at quite a few references in the Bible today as to what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit. We can't cover it all. There's way too much, but we're focusing in on the, some of the key scriptures. As I go through, some of the references are going to appear on the board you can read them. Some of them may not. If you're taking notes, just jot down the references. It may be worth looking up them later because we may not have time to uh, kind of spend lots of time in each. But we're looking for an overview. That's my intention. My hope is to, is to show us just an overview of what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And that can help us answer the question, well, who is he? What does he do? And what does it mean for us to be spirit-filled? Should we start with, with a prayer as before we launch into that? Okay, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we do come to you right now. And we pray to you that you would come this morning. That you would make your presence known here in this place. You teach us. You'd reveal yourself to us. Give us understanding, insight, wisdom. You would uh, do a work in our hearts, Lord. You would stir us. We don't just want this to be an intellectual exercise. We want to encounter your power right here today. So, Lord, we, we just say you're welcome here, just as we prayed. Come, fill this place as we've already sung. Please rest on us and speak to us as we continue through the rest of this morning. Amen. Amen. So, the Holy Spirit, the very, very first reference is right at the very, very beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1, as we looked at when we were looking through Genesis last term. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Explicit reference right there, the Spirit of God. We're introduced to the Spirit of God right in the very first verse of the Bible. He's important. He was there. He was there in that kind of strange, primordial, whatever it was, nothingness, before the world was created. He was there as God was was conceiving this idea of creating the universe. The Holy Spirit was there, was hovering. He was there in the midst of it all. Throughout the Old Testament, we understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who is the creator and the sustainer of life. So in the book of Job, uh, the the, the character in the book of Job, Elihu, Elihu is one of Job's friends. In one of his better moments, he says this in Job 33, 4, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. It's a sense in which 
all of us, even as we breathe, even if you just take a, take a breath, there's something that the Holy Spirit of God has given you that breath, has put that breath in your lungs. He's, he's created us. He's created us all. He is the very presence of God in his world and he resides everywhere. There's no place that the Holy Spirit can't see or doesn't, can't go. He is everywhere. He is sovereign over the whole of the world and he's involved in the whole creative process of, of creation. There's loads in the, in, the, in the Old Testament about that um, as well. But now let's ask, let's move on to, well, what's the Holy Spirit's role in God's big story? Okay, the story of the Bible, uh, the, 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 the story of redemption and salvation as it's told throughout the pages of Scripture. How's the Holy Spirit play out in that story as it unfolds with Abraham and the, and the calling of the people of Israel and coming out of slavery in Egypt and um, being established in the land and the whole story throughout what we call the Old Testament, which is the kind of first part of the Bible, which was written before, hundreds of years before Jesus. Well, what we see is that the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is he's not absent. He's very much there, part of what, what is happening, part of what's going on. Um, he's there. He's in faithful believers and followers of God. He's in the, uh, and, and among the people of Israel. Uh, and he is with God's people. And he's, he's with specific people at specific times for specific purposes. So we see some examples of this. Um, so in Numbers 27, 18, um, we see that it says of Joshua, the Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him and lay your hands on him. So we see like very much some key people in the Old Testament given the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit speaks to God's people and instructs them through the prophets. The Spirit speaks the Word of God. The Spirit is the one who speaks. Anytime you hear the Word of God spoken in the Old Testament, it is the Spirit that is, that is doing the speaking. He is the one that speaks the Word of God. And there's countless examples of that. If you look at a Bible, a large proportion, a large chunk of the Old Testament will be prophets. And if you read through those prophets, some of the big books like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Daniel that we're currently working through at the moment, um, and, and others, Ezekiel, you'll see that just again and again and again, it's just God speaking. God speaking to his people in different ways through the various prophets. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. There's a really good um, interpretive verse in the New Testament that explains this back. Okay, So this is in 2 Peter 1, verse 21 where it says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that is a really great explanation of exactly how that worked. So prophets, you know, they weren't, it wasn't a case of like they were there and then they kind of suddenly became possessed by this spirit and their eyes went white and then they started to speak these words. Like that's not how the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes we think of, when we think of spirits or if you watch certain movies, you think of that, that's how a spirit possesses someone. It's not the way with the Holy Spirit because God is love. God is gentle with us. God is patient with us. He knows us inside out and he wants to come and dwell within us and work through us and use us, but not in a mechanical, robotic way. He wants to use us in a relational, loving way. And so the Holy Spirit did. He, he came and spoke through those people and they were carried along by him. 
That's why when you read the Bible, you see the individual personality of the writers, of the human authors coming out. And that's why we have a Bible that's written by hundreds of different human authors, I believe, because God wants to speak through different people in their own different ways, and yet the Holy Spirit was carrying them along. Yet we can say that the Bible is the inspired word of God because it was the Holy Spirit who's carrying them along, as that verse says. We see as well specific power for specific purpose in the Old Testament. So um, some examples, we see that a character called Bezalel in Exodus 31, 1 to 5, says that the Holy Spirit empowers him with amazing artistic skill and the ability to, to be a craftsman. He's, he's the guy who kind of builds a lot of the tabernacle and he makes the kind of really ornate um, pieces of bronze and things like that. So the Holy Spirit gave him specific ability to do that. We also see in the Judges, the Holy Spirit gives Samson superhuman strength. Uh, and, and it's the Spirit of God. I don't, you know, if you know the story, remember it from Sunday school, his hair, you know, it's not actually his hair that gives him the strength, but it's the Spirit of God that gives him um, this, this amazing physical strength. We also see, again, in Daniel, uh, as we're going through the moment, or Joseph, that the Holy Spirit gives the ability to some to interpret dreams. Okay, so there's lots of different ways in which the Holy Spirit comes and shows himself through the, the pages of the Old Testament. And in each of these stories, it's remarkable, right, what the Holy Spirit does. He gives people abilities that is quite miraculous, that they wouldn't have on their own. There's something of, a, of the power, there's something of the supernatural power of God working through all of these examples. And then we get to a passage in uh, the book of Joel, one of the later prophets, um, towards the end of the Old Testament, and we see a verse in Joel, a passage in Joel, that's something of a game changer when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Up to now, we've seen him empower specific people. We've seen him kind of generally be with the people of Israel, teaching them. But now, we see in Joel 2, 28, we see this prophecy. And afterwards, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So there's something of a, of a promise for this to be a bigger thing, this to be a broadening thing. It's not just for special people, it's not just for men, it's for, for women, for old men, for, for, for daughters, for sons, for everyone, young and old. The spirit is going to be poured out. An incredible promise. Then... Some of you know how, obviously how that, where that ends up. Then we get to the New Testament. And we see how the Holy Spirit's kind of story is told as we enter the New Testament. We're told that John the Baptist is going to be filled with the Spirit from birth. He's going to be a very special prophet who's going to precede Jesus. John the Baptist's ministry is the one that comes right before the ministry of Jesus. And John the Baptist says to the crowds in Matthew 3 verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. That's what he was doing in the River Jordan, baptizing people. They were going under, coming back up, and that was for, for the repentance. That they were turning from their sins. They were saying, I recognize that I need God. I haven't been living for God. So he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals are not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We then see one of the most amazing Trinitarian moments in the New Testament, which is when Jesus himself is baptized. Uh, we see that he is baptized. John the Baptist takes him under the water. He comes back up, 
and we, we see the, the Spirit descending on Jesus as a dove, and we hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son with whom, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And something happens to Jesus at that moment. After he has been filled with the Spirit, we see a change, a shift, even in Jesus. He goes from essentially being a, a, a non-public figure. He goes from obscurity to his public ministry at that point. First of all, it says that the Spirit sends him into the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days by the devil. But then it says that he returns in the power of the Spirit, and that's when he starts his public ministry. Okay, Jesus is the ultimate Spirit-filled person. You want to see what a Spirit-filled person looks like? You look at Jesus himself. He, although we know this is the incredible kind of wonder and mystery of it, we know that Jesus is God. And yet he chooses to be filled with the Spirit. He chooses to allow the Spirit's power to come and work through him as he is a man on this earth. Um, it's the Spirit that gives him his power to do what he does. We see a little bit more about what Jesus' relationship with the Spirit is as we then go through the Gospels and he's teaching on the Spirit. And there's lots to say on this, but um, just to, so that it's, it's focused... Um, he says in John 7, 38, he's preaching at, 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 a, at a big feast in Jerusalem and he calls out. He says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And he's talking about the spirit. Remember John the Baptist saying, he's going to fill you with the spirit. Jesus is saying, believe in me and rivers of living water will flow from within them. Also in John 4, 14, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst, and the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sounds pretty good. A spring of water welling up within us to eternal life. A living water flowing from within them. He's talking about the Spirit. He's starting to, to paint a picture. of This is what's going to happen. This is what part of what I'm going to do here on the earth is to pour out my Spirit. We then see um, in later on in the book of John, as he's teaching his disciples in chapters 14, 15, 16, he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. If you want to kind of delve into that more, read those whole passages because there's lots of stuff in there about the Holy Spirit. But he essentially says um, to his disciples that he's going to ask the Father uh, to give us, his followers, another advocate, another counselor, another one like him. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going away soon. I'm not going to be with you forever. But I'm asking the Father, he's going to give you another one like me, another advocate who will be with you, the spirit of truth. He will teach you. He will remind you. He will testify about me. He will be your advocate and will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit's going to be the teacher for believers in Jesus. He's going to be the one that teaches and reminds us what Jesus has said. He's going to be the comforter who comes alongside us and comforts us in our, in our troubles. We then see, jumping forward a little more in the story, Jesus, he's gone to the cross. He's died for our sins. He's, he's made that incredible ultimate sacrifice for all of us. He's died in our place. He's died for our sins according to the scriptures. He's been raised to life again. And he appears to his disciples just before he goes back to heaven. And he says to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
That's like his parting promise to them. As they leave, you will receive power. And then in Acts chapter 2, there's a story of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, um, which many of us know about. Let me just read from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then Peter stands up and he preaches and he explains to the crowd, this is what's happening. And he goes back to Joel chapter 2 and he says, this is what's going on. God's pouring out his Spirit on all people now. This is a new day. This is a new era. The Holy Spirit has come. Jesus has gone back to the Father, but the Spirit has come. And here he is. This is, this is who he is. It's a, a turning point moment in the whole Bible, in the whole of history. And often we see in the New Testament, when people are filled with the Spirit, they start speaking in tongues. Uh, that happens a lot in the Bible. It happens a lot in the New Testament. It's talked about a lot. And I know this is something that kind of can sometimes be a, a tricky issue for Christians. Sometimes people can think, well, I do speak in tongues, fine, great, hallelujah. I'm a crazy charismatic, card-carrying, woohoo. Others might think, well, that's, 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 is that right? Do I have to have this? Am I some sort of lesser Christian if I don't have it? It can cause some, you know, some, some issues back and forth. And all I'll say on it, I haven't got time to go into it in great depth. All I'll say in, about, the, about it is that this is a gift that God has for his body, has for Christians. It's part of what happens when he pours out his spirit. It's a gift. So like with any gift, we can choose to receive it or we can choose not to receive it. Uh, God's not going to hold it against us if we choose not to receive it. It's, it's, it's just a gift that's there. I personally, my bias is towards it because I think it's great, because I think it's in the Bible, I think it's a good thing, and I think I've personally benefited from have, having and receiving that gift. Also, I'd say, just, uh, just to kind of big up the gift of tongues uh, a little bit more, if you do receive the gift of tongues and, and pray in tongues, you're in pretty good company. You're in quite exalted company. In fact, you're in some of the best company that you could imagine. This is an a article from BBC News a week or so ago. The Archbishop of Canterbury, people, it's official. He prays in tongues every day. And it's on the BBC News website. And uh, this is Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. And this is what he said in, the, in this uh, article. He said, I'm quoting now, In my own prayer life and as part of my daily discipline, I pray in tongues every day, not as an occasional thing, but as part of daily prayer. He added, It's not something to make a great song and dance about. Given it's usually extremely early in the morning and it's not usually an in immensely ecstatic moment because I'm sort of uh, struggling. This is, I'm quoting. This is what Justin Welby said. Okay. Carrying on quoting now, this is what the journalist says. Tongues have no readily comprehended meaning and are sometimes believed to be divine language unknown to the person using them. Many believers consider tongues to come from the Holy Spirit and think they can be used in prayer when a worshipper feels unsure what to pray. According to the Bible, this is now quoting Romans 8.26 on the uh, BBC website, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings we cannot be expressed through words. That's Romans 8.26. Returning to the article, praying in tongues is often associated with so-called charismatic Christianity, in which believers consider miracles and signs to be part of their everyday lives. 
Interesting, isn't it? To see what the BBC website has to say about this, this issue. Something to think about. Do have a look at that if you want. All I'll say on it now is, well, I think I've said enough in terms of tongues, but um, that last comment, charismatic Christianity, in which believers consider miracles and signs to be part of their everyday lives, that was challenging to me, because I'm like, I'm a leader of a, a church that we would call a charismatic church, and yet do we see signs and miracles? Do I really believe in signs and miracles as part of my everyday life? Well, this is another thing that relates to the ministry of the Holy Spirit among Christians today, which is that Jesus gives us his power. In John 14, 12, he says to his disciples, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That is such a profound verse. Jesus is saying, you know, look at the ministry of Jesus. Healings, miracles, crowds, the world being transformed by one man's ministry. And then he says, I'm going to the Father and you guys will be able to do even greater things than I'm doing because I'm giving you another counselor who's just like me, but he's going to be in all of you, not just one person, hundreds and thousands of people filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a pretty genius plan, isn't it? If you want to impact the world with, uh, with a message and with, with a, a, a rescue plan for, for, for humanity, it's exactly what Jesus has done. So one of the things about the Holy Spirit is that when he does come, when he does move, there's a power, there's healings, there's, there's signs, wonders, miracles. These things can happen. There's absolutely no reason why they oughtn't to happen today in our lives and around our lives as a church. He gives us the power of God, the power to do the things that Jesus did. Just very quickly, what else does the New Testament have to say about the Holy Spirit? Because there's other stuff too. <laughs> Okay, just to quickly list some of these, we haven't got time to go into these, but Galatians 4 says that he's the spirit of adoption. He gives us that nearness, that intimacy with the Father, that knowledge that, that we can say to Father, Abba, Father, you're my Father. You're, you're, there's a closeness and intimacy that the Holy Spirit brings in our relationship with God. He's also the one through whom we experience God's comfort. In 2 Corinthians 1, it talks about this. And it doesn't mean that he makes us comfortable. It's very different. He doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit does not make us comfortable, but he does comfort us when we go through difficulty, when we go through trials, when we're struggling. He is the one who can come and bring us comfort in a way that no one else can. Also in Ephesians 1, 14, it says that he's a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance of eternal life. So the Holy Spirit's like a deposit, like a down payment. Because we have the Spirit in us, we know for certain that when Jesus returns, when we die, we're going to be with him. The Spirit's proof, the Spirit's a deposit of that. Beautiful stuff. All of this, like we could delve into all of this stuff, but we want to keep it focused today really on what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So that's where we want to land this. How do we get filled with the Spirit and how do we stay filled with the Spirit? Or to put it another way, how do we be Spirit-filled people? I guess that's the question, the application question that most of us will want to, to grapple with. And I think a question just to help us on this, to ask about it, is do you know the Holy Spirit? Are you experiencing the closeness and power of the Holy Spirit in, his li in your lives? Anything that we've been talking about in terms of what the Spirit does and how he, he works, 
If there's, ever, if there's any of that in your life, then that's good. That's, that, the Holy Spirit is, is there. He's in your life. He's at work. Sometimes we can get tied down as well in, you know, is there a separate baptism in the Holy Spirit? So, you know, or do we receive the Holy Spirit when we become believers? That's a big theological subject of debate. And all I'll say on that, just to completely reduce it down to one sentence, there's evidence of both in the Bible. So both are biblical. If you had a separate baptism experience in the Holy Spirit, that's great, that's biblical. If you never had that, but you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life from the moment you became a Christian, that's also biblical. But there is a question. Do you know and how, how, how much is the river running in your life? To put it another way, how much do you know the that living water inside you how much is your christian life filled with the spirit with the presence of the spirit and just to encourage you like he wants to fill you he wants to teach you he wants to draw alongside you he wants to fill your life he wants you to know all of this great stuff we've been looking at what the bible says I think there are a couple of issues that can sometimes stop us. If there's any sense among any of us this morning that, oh yeah, I could do with a bit more. I don't really know the Holy Spirit much. Oh, I could do with a bit more. Then I just want to suggest a couple of potential issues that could be in the way, barriers that could, if you like, stop the river flowing. We can sometimes dam up the river and, and, and stop the Holy Spirit. Because as I've said, the Holy Spirit is not a spirit that comes and possesses us against our will. He is, as sometimes is said, a gentleman. It's a good way of describing the Holy Spirit. Um, he does not come in and force himself on us. He waits for us to invite and to partner and to be ready. He does challenge. He does make us uncomfortable, as I've said, but he will never just come in and take hold of us unless we are willing. So quick, quickly, just a couple of issues that can get in the way, and the first is to do with control here's another honest question i'm not going to ask for hands but this is something to consider yourself who is truly in control of your life it's a big one who's in the driving seat who is the one that makes the decisions on a day-to-day basis what you're going to do next month how you're going to go towards the future the thing is that a lot of us we can get into a pattern where suddenly, before we know it, we can wake up and we realize that we are desperately trying to be in control of our lives. We're trying to grab hold of it. We're trying to, 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 to take control. And if that's the case, then there could be a problem in terms of the Holy Spirit because you're not giving him any room. <laughs> and that is, that is something that can sometimes happen. What's the answer to that if, if you can relate to that and if you know that that's true for you that perhaps there's just you just you, you just admit it you're a control freak you, you like to be in control you don't like to allow other people or, or, or allow the holy spirit allow god maybe you struggle to trust maybe there's fear there like well what's going to happen if i really give god control that's where faith comes in so the answer to that is surrender You've got to surrender to God. You've got to say, and look again, look at Jesus. Look at what he did. My will, not my will, but your will be done. He surrendered himself to God, was obedient to God. 
And that's what it talks in Galatians 5, 25, about keeping in step with the Spirit. It's almost like the Spirit leads here. And, okay, right, we're going here. Spirit leads here. Okay, we're going here. We're going here. Keeping in step with the Spirit. Much as we'd like him to, he doesn't often give us a five-year plan with points along the way. And, you know, like review point. It's not how God often works, much as we'd often like him to. It's about keeping in step with the Spirit. And the other thing that about control is that Often it can be that we just, we just have a natural bent towards rules and regulations. We just love, we just love to have it written down. Rules, regulations, let's just, let's, let's just follow them. And then we can feel like we're in control. But just as the New Testament teaches, rules and regulations do not impart life. The law does not impart life. But the Spirit actually sets us free from that. We don't have to live in that law anymore Actually, the Christian life is about receiving the Holy Spirit and then submitting, and then off you go. You live your life and you see what happens. <laughs> it sounds a little bit almost irresponsible, doesn't it, to live like that? But that is what, if we're really following the Spirit, we believe that we can hear His voice, we have His Word, that's how we can live. And actually, that is an exciting way to live. God doesn't call us to a comfortable life, but he calls us to the dangerous adventure of following him. And that's what it is. It's a dangerous adventure being a Christian. It's not safe. It's not the easy option. But if we need to put ourselves in the, in the hands of the Holy Spirit and say, oh, I trust you. The second thing that can sometimes stop us being filled with the Spirit is just a lack of thirst. To be filled with the Spirit, you need, you need faith. You need to know and believe that he's there. And you need to believe that he's promised to fill you as a gift, not a reward. It's a gift. Jesus says in Luke 11, if, the, if you then know that you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's a gift. You don't have to earn him. You receive him on the basis of believing in Jesus, having your sins forgiven, and the Spirit comes in and fills you. So we have to believe. We have to ask to be filled. It's not necessarily automatic. It's not just like, I'm a Christian. Okay, right, I've got the Holy Spirit. Off we go. That's not, I don't think that's honoring what the Bible teaches. We have to ask. We have to continually be, come back to him and be filled. And the problem is with this lack of thirst thing is that we can be so self-sufficient, can't we? We never really experience thirst in this country, do we? I mean, I, I, I don't know what real thirst is. You know, I remember when we had the frozen pipes last year and our taps stopped for like half an evening or something. And it's like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Quickly, everyone's going up to Sainsbury's and getting bottles of water. And, and obviously water, you can't live without water. It is pretty serious. But even then, we, didn't really, we weren't really thirsty. We weren't really left without options. We in this country are, are generally speaking, we're warm, we're well-fed, we have every distraction, every form of entertainment we need. If there's a problem, we can usually find a practical solution. Now, if your boiler breaks, you call the insurance company. If your phone contract runs out, you have a little look online, see what the better one is, and you go for that one, and you switch. If a health problem, you go and see a doctor. You need to relax and unwind, we have Netflix. We've got everything we need, haven't we? We, we? we do not experience thirst. And Paul says in Galatians 5, 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't do what your sinful nature craves. 
See, that's, that's the thing, is that each of us have the old nature that just wants to go back to comfort and wants to go back to relying on these things and not relying on God. And sometimes we need to come back to that hunger and that thirst. And sometimes we need to pray, sometimes we need to fast to remind ourselves and to tune back in to that, that real hunger and that real thirst for God. So just, just landing this now, we are living in days where God has poured out his spirit. The context that we are in is that, that Joel 2 promise. It's happened and it is happening. We are living in the exciting times because it's the age of the spirit. It's the age where Jesus has returned to the Father. He sent his spirit. It's the age of the church. It's the age in which God is building his kingdom in this earth before he returns. The dam is open and we can drink this living water. We can know the power of the Spirit. What we need to do is we need to come, believe, shake off distractions and surrender, let go of control. And maybe we need to repent of apathy and relying on other things. And what we're going to do in a moment, we are going to respond. We're going to just take a bit of time to respond in whatever way we need to respond. And we're going to possibly even just express our thirst in different ways. Just just to finish, I, I was challenged on this last weekend because I um, was spending some time with some wonderful people from the Vineyard Church in Birmingham that we're friends with. Uh, and I was um, I met one of the pastors I hadn't met before. It was nice spending time with them. And um, they were telling me that the senior pastors of the Vineyard Movement in the UK have spent the first three weeks in January fasting and praying. And they're doing this because this year... <laughs> marks 25 years since the Toronto outpouring, which some of you know about, happened in 1994. There's a big outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which started um, in a church in, in, in Toronto in Canada and, and actually spread around the world. And many of you, some of you who nodded, you know, you, you remember this. You remember you're in your own walk with God. This was significant. But the Vineyard Movement are recognizing there's a generation growing up who don't know about this, who maybe have never really experienced a big outpouring of the Spirit in that way. And so they're setting themselves to pray and to fast. And I thought that was inspiring and challenging. And I think for us as a church this year, I think this year is going to be a year of praying and, and fasting and seeking God. Um, just, just to throw that out, I think this is something that as a leadership we are being stirred about. And so um, I invite you to get on board with that if you, if you want to. So we're going to respond now. We're going to get a bit dynamic. 